Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Ticking Project, ResEd's initiative to understand what makes us tick. I'm Mike McCormick, the coordinator of community programs and the host of this little podcast. On this episode, we talked to Leticia Casares, the foster youth counselor in the Promoting Achievement Through Hope or PATH program. I talked to her about working with foster youth, homeless youth, and displaced youth, and hopefully you gain a lot of really good information. Let's start off with your name, your position on campus, and just kind of a brief introduction of what you do here at the Challenge. Well, thank you, Mike, for the opportunity. I really appreciate this. Uh, my name is Leticia Casares, and I'm the foster youth counselor here at CI, and uh, I oversee the foster youth program, which stands for PATH, or it's PATH, and it stands, uh, it's acronym for Promoting Achievement Through Hope. Um, so you mentioned the PATH program. Can you describe the PATH program's purpose and the student population that it serves? Yes, most definitely. Um, the purpose of this program, it came about as a mandate from the chancellor's office. Um, so there was no program prior to me being hired on uh, part-time initially back in 2012. Mm -hmm. And uh, the purpose is to um, assist special populations and that includes foster youth, students that may have been in guardianship or kinship, those that were adopted at one point or another, either through the foster care system or a private agency. And now we've actually brought it to include also those students that may have uh, experienced a form of homelessness. Okay. Um, so that's primarily the purpose. And it's, it's to help assist the students in any needs that they may come about or they may have as um, they progress through their higher education mm -hmm. and supplement that. Um, this is a follow-up question to the special population that, I, that PATH serves. Um, you, it nuanced between like foster youth, students who were adopted, students in guardianship or kinship, or students who experience homelessness. Some of those are really understandable, like students that experience homelessness. Right. But could you further explain what the different potential differences are between foster youth, students who are adopted, students who are guardians, or who have in guardianships or kinships and students that experience homelessness? Um, so for foster youth, uh, more specifically, any of those students could have potentially initially been have been from their uh, biological parents, um, either because of neglect or abuse. Um, but in other cases, it may have been that the parents passed away and there was no guardian that could have taken over um, their care. Um, therefore, they may have been placed in foster care at that point. Um, in other cases, it could have been that maybe the parent was unfit and the court deemed it necessary that the child be removed from their home for their own safety. Mm -hmm. So that's primarily some of the reasons as to why a child would end up in foster care. Okay. And I think, I think that's really interesting because especially interacting with students, a lot of our go-to's is like, mm -hmm. oh, how's your family? Like, tell us about your family. Exactly. And it, I appreciate hearing that family is a really complicated issue for especially some of our students here, that it's not just your birth mother and your birth father, but that there are nuances and variables that affect that. Exactly, and that actually is a very sensitive topic for a lot of the students that I work with, and it, it actually is important for us to be sensitive about that. And 
um, realize that maybe they're not uh, in you know a regular home where there's a, a dad and a, a mom and so we have to be cognizant of that and some of this youth may have been raised by a grandma an aunt, aunt or, or somebody else that may have taken yeah. their legal guardianship um, so you, and you mentioned that this camp this whole program's heard about from a mandate from the chancellor's office, but when was the PATH program established and how many students are currently in the program? Um, as of uh, 2014, of the fall last semester, uh, or not last semester, the prior semester to that, uh, that's when it was established formally on campus. And um, as of spring of 2015, we have 15 active students that have uh, been in, registered with the program. But through the FAFSA application that some of our students fill out and also the uh, CSU mentor application, we have found that there are other students on campus that have self-identified through the questions that they fill out there specifically. Um, so there's over 50 students that we know of that are on campus that have not maybe found out about the resources that are available now to them. Um, so we definitely need to do a little bit more reaching out to those specific students and making sure that they know um, that there are specific resources available to them now. And the PATH program is something that students have to self-select into. It's not something that administrators can reach out to you, or how does um, that work? The students can self-identify and come directly to myself uh, in the PATH program as a foster youth counselor or um, other administrators or counselors can refer the student into the program. Okay. And that has actually happened because I've established a pretty good rapport amongst um, some of the support services on campus and those colleagues have been very gracious in connecting those students into our program. And even if the student is being um, serviced by one or two programs, um, that's okay because it provides uh, an additional supplement for them. Cool. So you mentioned that students, that there are 50 students that potentially aren't using the services that we, that PATH provides, but that there are 50 current active students who utilize those resources. What are those resources and the services that PATH provides on campus? So currently in the PATH program, we've actually set up the um, the PATH Center, which was launched in the fall as well. And it's a center that provides the students with three desktops and it allows the students to print, uh, print uh, for free color printing, which is really nice. I mean, if you think about some of the different resources available on campus, it could get a little bit difficult for them to access those uh, resources. Aside from that, the students have access to a fully stocked um, refrigerator. Um, in our program, more specifically, I think a lot of the times there's a lot of insecurity with regards to food, mm -hmm. um, housing, and financial uh, aspects of it. So we've uh, definitely been very cognizant and we've done research and based on a recent collaboration with a grant, we did find that students would like to have those specific resources allocated there. Uh, we also have a microwave that is available to our students. Um, there is a, a place for the students to engage and work on homework and there's some study areas as well. And there's also a student assistant who is also part of the PATH program 
who works with me directly for about 20 hours a week, which allows a peer-to-peer -peer interaction when I'm away from the office. Um, so those are some of the resources. Aside from that, the students have access to a full-time counselor, which is myself, and as that, I'm able to connect the students specifically with resources outside of CI or on campus, and I can serve as a direct um, advocate or liaison for the students. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that there you serve as a counselor that can serve as liaison for those on-campus resources. What are those on-campus resources? So those that's a great question. There's uh, multiple resources that we could actually spend the next few hours actually <laughs> talking about the wealth of resources that are available within Ventura County. Um, but just to highlight um, our website, we do have those available to our students and to anyone um, within CI that could access them directly. Um, so that would be www.csuci.edu backslash pass, P-A-T-H. Um, and there they would just click on the tab that says resources and they could find the resources that are available internally and as well as you know external entities. But if I could just highlight a few of those resources, um, it would actually be like the FAFSA application that I ask all the students to um, submit on an annual basis. And that would be directly through the, their website. Aside from that, um, those students that are foster youth, there are specific grants that are available to them through the Chafee application. And that would be from the CSEC um, website. Um, and I could have helped all the students with uh, filling out those um, documents as well. Um, and then also in Ventura County, there are scholarships that are available specifically to foster youth and those that have been unaccompanied or that are homeless. Um, and that would be under the Ventura County Community Foundation under the TEACH scholarships. Um, but basically the student would just have to fill out um, their account and create an account and then automatically the as they're filling out the information they're basically connected to those specific scholarships that are available to them. We talked about when you're talking about the on-campus resources you mentioned a few things that may not have the most clear meaning so what when you say food security or housing security or financial security what do you or what do you mean by that? So in, in some of the cases, as I mentioned earlier, specifically with why um, students may have ended up in foster care, a lot of the times um, they've experienced maybe trauma already within their own household where there was no food available to them or they were neglected and they were not provided that specific uh, security. So in some of those cases, you know, it becomes almost like a constant aspect that the students are having to make sure that they take care of. And oftentimes, because of the situation uh, where maybe they are not being, um, uh, they, they don't have a parent, a parental guardian that's watching their every move, their every step, and some of these cases, a lot of this youth are independent already. So they're having to take care of those immediate needs, mm -hmm. such as food, a shelter over their head, you know, having security, security with, it, with finances. They have to learn at a very young age immediately how to manage that. And oftentimes, they're just basically thrown into a situation where they have to grow up and become 
adult, and that can be very challenging because in some of those cases, they're not developmentally there yet to be able to take on those responsibilities. So when I say that, um, if we could alleviate some of that through our program by providing, you know, even if it's a few snacks at a time or provide a safe space for them to engage and interact with other peers that may have had similar experiences, um, I would, I wish that this is going to be a good opportunity for them to feel secure in that aspect. Yeah. And it's, it's just missing those basic needs. I almost think of the hierarchy of needs that they're food and shelter are the ones that are missing or aren't easily accessible. So I think that our program helps address those needs to kind of realize those higher needs. Exactly. Um, and it sounds like students that go through the program really do face a lot of struggles yeah. or have, have overcome a lot of struggles. Is there any story that particularly is meaningful for you or sticks out as, as something that kind of keeps you going when things get tough? Well, I think, uh, you know, in my position, it's uh, very rewarding to see that the students really uh, are very resilient across the board. I mean, if there was one thematic aspect that I could see from all of the students that I work with is that they're very resilient and determined and they never give up. Um, just most recently, there is a student who I've been working with for the last couple of years um, she really has amazed me in the sense that, you know, she has been independent since she was a freshman when, when she came on to campus, although she just most recently joined the program uh, because there was no program at CI prior to that. Uh, but one of the things that I have noticed is that she has struggled with, you know, her finances and making sure that she's paying everything. Um, but one of the opportunities that I shared with her was the Venture County um, Community Foundation scholarships that were available specifically to foster youth. And I shared that to her, and on her own accord, you know, she applied, and most recently was uh, actually recognized amongst other uh, recipients. And she actually received $7,000 for the academic year, which is one of the highest amounts that would have been provided to any one of the recipients. And I'm very proud of her. Uh, it just brings a great smile to my face to know that, you know, she'll be secure for the next year as far as, you know, paying for tuition. So, you know, that's gonna kind of alleviate some of that burden that a lot of our students struggle with mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and you've mentioned this Community Foundation a few times. Um, what are some of the relevant laws and policies that surround that we should be aware of in working with foster youth? So there's actually quite a bit. Um, I didn't realize that it's almost like there's a village, you know, that's working really hard behind making sure that the students make it through uh, the educational system. But I've learned quite a bit that there are quite a few laws that are constantly changing and being updated on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, but, you know, if I could just highlight the ones that are specific to higher education, and that would be permanent or um, re related uh, in our field, I would say the first one is the AB uh, 12, which is an assembly bill. Um, and that basically was uh, established back in 2012 and said that um, students uh, that were in foster care have now have the right, those that were 18 years of age, can now extend 
have extended foster care. And that's basically additional monies that they're getting from the federal government and it provides uh, a way for them either to pay for their education, um, if they're in trade school, you know, they, they could basically manage that and it allows them to pay for their rent, any anything that they may need immediately. Um, and how long does that extension last? It actually extends up until the age of 21. Okay. And so it, it really is contingent upon the, the state's budget. Uh, so going into year 2014, it would extend to the age of 21. So for those students that maybe are 18 at this point, they would have that flexibility up until the age of 21. Uh, the other uh, assembly bills that I would like to highlight, it would be 194, AB 194. And that basically says that it requires all the CSU systems to provide um, priority registration. And so the students uh, would be given priority registration if they were in foster care. However, if the student registers with the PATH program, they would also be provided that uh, priority registration. So it's a student group that we have to create on our uh, PeopleSoft system and go through records so that they flag it and that when a student is getting ready to register for their courses, um, they will have access to that uh, priority. Um, and it's actually very significant in that nationwide, only about 3% of the foster youth students have actually graduated with a college degree. Um, so if you look at those statistics, it's pretty meager. I mean, it, we really need to do a bigger effort of increasing those numbers. Um, but we're, we're right on our way. And just by having programs such as PATH available to students, we're hoping that we could increase those numbers. Uh, now, the other um, assembly bill is 1393, and that actually means that an uh, institution that has a housing facility needs to provide uh, priority uh, to any foster youth that may uh, disclose that they are in, you know, part of that population. And so the housing facilities also are required to provide year-round housing uh, for students because in some of the cases, you know, some of the students may not necessarily have a place to go back to. Um, and that includes the summer, winter, and all the breaks in between or the holidays. Yeah. Um, Potential, that's potentially going on the same type of subject. What are some improvements that can be made on campus to make it the most rewarding experience for foster youth? Well, I think definitely um, just by having this interview today, we're actually raising that awareness. And um, if I could be almost like the advocate to speak to um, and say that, you know, the students need a lot of nurturing, a lot of individuals that really care um, and that are going to be there to listen to them. Um, one of those aspects of uh, creating a better environment definitely is to raise that awareness. Um, just last semester when um, we celebrated the uh, National Foster Youth Month in, in May, um, I did put out a, a brief description of what foster youth go through and a, a few statistics that are available. And so that actually captured 
what our program does, and it was also placed on the wavelength so that other administrators, the students themselves, uh, faculty are able to see that we do have now a resource on campus that you know they can start referring students into because a lot of the students may not be talking to me necessarily they might be talking to other support service programs on campus and so if we could capture those other students where they're going there it would be ideal um, and my last question is what is one thing that you think student leaders need to know about working with foster youth and displaced students? Um, I definitely feel that um, with student leaders, you know, if I could actually ask that you be very open and non-judgmental because I feel that, you know, a lot of the times a lot of the students may hide behind that shadow. They don't want to share and disclose that at one point or another. Um, they experience a difficult situation and you know when they join the PATH program I'm not asking them to share their life story of course if they would like to share you know a little bit about their their background um, it, we do need to have documentation and I know that it's also requested from admissions to be provided so they already are being you know indulged with asked you know questions that are being asked from different areas but if the student leaders can be advocates and an extension of what I do uh, of providing you know the information and connecting them that would be ideal for me yes cool well thank you for making time for us today and helping us learn more about foster youth and displaced students and if you want to learn more about all things PATH you can reach the center in Bell Tower 1701 by phone at 805 Four three seven three nine three two, or via email at path.center at csuci.edu. If you have questions or comment, you can at me on Twitter at HigherEdMike or via my CSUCI email account. That's all we have for this episode. Thanks for listening and be on the lookout for more ticking. We're gonna get the